We are working our way through one line of scripture uh, in a section of the New Testament called Galatians. It's from this letter that was written by one of the early followers of Jesus, a man named Paul. Uh, We know him as the Apostle Paul. Depending on your tradition, you might know him as Saint Paul. But Paul had started several churches after Jesus' death and resurrection, and now he's writing to these churches in a region called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And um, he's trying to help them uh, learn to cultivate space for God through the Holy Spirit to grow these attributes in their lives. So all the way back in part one of this series, I mentioned that one of the things that I'm excited about for this series is that you would hear from some people that you haven't really had a chance to hear from yet from the podium. These are people who are growing in their influence in our church, have been contributing to the culture and values of our church. A group of people that we've been really intentional about both pouring into as they grow in their their leadership and mentoring and coaching them as they expand their influence and giving them opportunities uh, to pour into you as well because we know that in a church setting, your influence grows exponentially when you have a chance to teach in the Sunday gathering on a regular basis. So kind of a new day at Faith Community. We embraced this several months ago now. We're really excited about growing our teaching team here on Sundays. We have six people who've committed to this process of engaging in intentional, frequent, focused, thoughtful conversations about our church culture, about teaching in this setting, and about our vision for the future. So last month, you got to hear from Amanda Elliott uh, from the, for the first time as she taught. She taught on peace as a part of this fruitful series. Then last time on July uh, 10th, uh, Aaron Francis teamed up with me to teach on kindness. Those two ladies did a phenomenal job, right? And yeah, go ahead. It's a split right down the middle. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> about right. I have so much appreciation for their preparation process, their thoughtful study and writing, and their willingness to come in, what you don't see a couple times in the middle of the week, to work through uh, their content here at the podium with just a camera and me sitting here and critiquing and, uh, and advising and coaching. And, and I, think, I think you know it's not a small thing to get up here and talk. I think you know that, and present m- meaningful content that's another level, right, in a clear and thoughtful way for like 30 or 40 minutes. So I'm grateful for them for stepping way outside their comfort zones to begin to explore this new responsibility of teaching in the church. Today, Josh Young's going to teach. If you've been around for even a couple of years, uh, Josh is no stranger to you. He's been teaching here occasionally for a few years now. He and his wife Megan serve as elders here, and they lead our ministry to middle schoolers that we call FCF Youth JV. So uh, today, I'm simply going to ask again that you would give Josh the same kind of respectful attention that you've given to me and Pastor Bob over all these years. For this whole teaching team, um, you can have confidence in what they're teaching because we aren't just looking for people who um, are naturally gifted speakers with dynamic personalities and fine-tuned communication skills. That's not the criteria. We feel like we've identified six individuals who have a heart for the Lord, a heart for His church, a desire to fulfill their God-given potential, a willingness to develop some new skills in order to communicate this life-giving message and a grand vision for what the church, and specifically what this church, could be in our lives and in our community. So, we've been reading from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, where Paul says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, throughout the series, we're in part, oh, I lost track. I want to say six, but that might be wrong. Is it six? Do you know? It's six? Okay, good. I'll count. Yeah, six. So throughout the series, we've been saying that this is not a to-do list. 
That we have to, like, we got to somehow figure out how to be more loving and more, have more peace and, and have more joy and all that. We've, we've gotten this so wrong for so long in the church that I have said, I'm just going to repeat this every time we're talking about it. This is not a to-do list. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. This is what he wants to produce in our lives. But listen, you and I do have a role to play. It's our responsibility to cultivate the type of soil, right? The type of character in our heart that actually grows good fruit in our lives. And we can either help or hinder in this process. So far in this series, which you can find uh, an audio on our podcast or on video on our website and the media player there at faithcommunityfellowship.com. So far, we've covered love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. Today, we're landing on goodness. Here's Josh. I want to introduce you this morning to a clothing company that is called 21 Pineapples. And you'll see why we're introducing this clothing company to you in just a moment. Um, 21 Pineapples was, in, was uh, started and created by a uh, now 19-year-old uh, man by the name of Nate Simon. You can put that picture up, please. Um, Nate Simon has Down syndrome, and he and his parents started 21 Pineapples um, sort of to raise awareness of Down syndrome and to help uh, provide support and money for, for organizations that are working with folks with Down syndrome. The name, it's an interesting story of how they came up with the name 21 Pineapples because it seems kind of random, um, but according to their website, 21pineapples.com, they said, when coming up with the 21 Pineapples name, we wanted something bold, something that, represent, that represents excuse me, Nate's spunk and moxie. We chose 21 pineapples. The number 21 represents the 21st chromosome. Our friends with Down syndrome have an extra 21st chromosome. This is what makes them magical. Why pineapples, you may ask? Not only are pineapples an expression of friendship and welcoming hospitality, but this beautiful fruit is adorned by its own exquisite crown. After all, don't we all deserve to wear a crown? And the mission, they say, it's a simple one. We want to change the way others perceive people with Down syndrome and other special abilities one Hawaiian shirt at a time. A percentage of all sales will go directly to support Down syndrome organizations throughout the world. Some see a disability, we see endless abilities. The reason we're focusing kind of on this company to start our, our, our uh, conversation this morning is because of their motto. The motto of 21 Pineapples is be a good human. Um, it's something I think we all need now, but what does that actually mean? What does it mean when we say, be a good human? What, what is goodness? How do we even define good? Well, good is actually quite subjective. Let me uh, take you through a quick exercise this morning to illustrate this point. We're going to do something called thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm going to show you a series of a few pictures um, if you like what you see, if it, uh, what the picture represents, put your thumbs up. If you don't like what you see, you don't like what the picture represents, put your thumbs down, okay? So the first picture, country music. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Some of you are like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe a little bit. Okay, next one, please. That is pineapple on pizza. So see, uh, quite, a, quite a response. Some people are like, yes, put that as well. Like, that does not belong on pizza. On pizza, you are desecrating it. <laughs> the next one, please. Snow, which we know a lot about around here, right? Certain times of the year. So snow, some people love it, some people hate it. Next one, please. 
All right, so we're hoping not to start a war with this one. Some of you are Ford people, some of you are Chevy people. You know who you are. <laughs> you can still be friends, I promise. Um, I actually have both at home. I, I own both right now, so I don't really care. But just this, this exercise is just a, just a way to show you how subjective that good can be, right? Because it depends on, on our own feelings, our own experiences, what we like, what we don't like. So we can't define good since it's such a subjective thing for most of us. So then I turned to the dictionary. Okay, so how do we define, how does the dictionary define good? Well, I found two definitions of good from two different dictionaries. The Oxford Dictionary says it's the quality of being morally good or virtuous. Webster Dictionary says the quality or state of being good. And I kind of like that one better than the first one. So that's kind of what I, I ran with is the quality or state of being good. Well, we know goodness is, is closely related, related to kindness. Um, Aaron and, and um, Pastor Todd spoke about kindness a few weeks ago, and goodness is closely related to that, but also distinctly different, right? There's also some things about goodness that are different from kindness. So now that we have kind of a working definition of, of good for our purposes this morning, I want to address a question that we often talk about and, and some things that you may, may hear uh, in our society, are people basically good? Because we hear that all the time, don't we? We hear that people are basically good, they just make bad decisions, and they do, they do things wrong now and again, but at their heart, they're basically good. Well, let's dive into that a little bit this morning. We know that we were created to be good. We know that. That's what Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, and even tells us that we were created in God's image, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They would reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So being created in the image of God is a good thing, right? That means we were created to be good. And not only were we created in God's image to be like him, to be good, God declared that all that he created was good. In Genesis 1.31, then God looked over all he had made. He saw that it was very good. Evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So we know at the beginning, when God first created human beings, human beings were good. God created us that way. All of creation was good. We were good. Then something happened after that. We call the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And that changed everything. Um, everything was affected by the introduction of sin into God's creation. Uh, Romans 8 verses 19 through 22 tell us this. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Do you ever think about that? Even, even creation itself, the earth itself, was cursed by sin. So all of creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's an interesting picture that he paints for us there 
of, of how creation is working. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And I'm not sure we can say that people are basically good when we're seeing verses that talk about the human heart being desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it really is? Luke 18, 18 through 19, even, even Jesus had a, had a chance to talk with folks about this idea of people being good. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. Now, I don't know about you, that makes me step back a little bit because wasn't Jesus God? That's what scripture teaches. He's God the Son. He was God, is God, fully God, 100% God. So if he's God, why did he say this? Why did he tell this man that only God is good? Why are you calling me good? Only God is good. I think there were two things that were happening here. I think the first one was, this was a religious leader, didn't really believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And I think Jesus was calling him out on that. I think Jesus was saying, look, you're trying to tell me that that I'm good. You don't believe I'm God. Only God is good. Why are you telling me that I'm good if you don't believe that I'm God? So I think that was part of it. I think another part of it was the fact that salvation cannot be earned or bought. We could never be good enough to earn salvation. And I think that's also what Jesus was referring to here. Only God is good. We are not good. We cannot earn that on our own. So he was calling him out on that as well. So sin and the curse of sin really has made us basically bad. So when people say humans are basically good, that's not true. We're basically bad. Um, for one, humans are, are destructive. I, I'm, I'm not an uh, environmentalist per se, but I also think we need to take better care of the planet that God has given us and some things that we've done to our, to our planet um, and things around us have not been good. Um, no one taught us how to do that. That's just what we do. No one has to teach babies how to be bad, right? No one has to teach them how to say no, how to disobey, how to do something opposite of what you just told them to do, or they look right at you and do it anyway. Um, no one teaches them that. Well, Scripture talks about the fact that we're all born with a sin nature. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3 says this, The Lord looks down from heaven and on the entire human race, he looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. And then in Romans 8, verses 5 through 8, we read this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about, think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting our sinful nature control your minds leads to death. Letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Don't skip over that quickly. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So we have this problem this sinful nature that's inside of us as a result of the fall. We all are born this way now. And it's a problem that we can't take care of on our own, that we can do nothing about on our own. Because of our sin nature, we are also rebels 
against God. We rebel against God. Because we are rebels, we're subject to God's wrath. Now, here's an interesting definition of wrath from Webster's Dictionary. It's a strong, vengeful anger or indignation, anger aroused by something unjust, unworthy, or mean. And a second definition is retributory um, punishment for an offense or a crime, divine chastisement. So this idea of wrath, we might call it righteous anger that God has towards us because of our sin. So our sin nature has given us this position. We're rebels against God. We go against what he says. Sinful nature never has pleased God, never will please God, always hostile to God. And that's where we are. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 takes it a little further. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So that's a pretty strong statement, right? They're not talking about a physical body. Physically, we might still be alive, but spiritually, we're dead. And in the sense of that kind of, of life and, and how we relate to God, we are dead. It says you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in, those, in the hearts of those excuse me, who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everything else. I want to show a quick video here from a man by J.D. Greer, I think describes this pretty well. So watch this. And in this passage, the apostle is going to dispel two very deeply ingrained myths our culture believes about evil. The first is that the main problem in the world is other people. The second is that deep down, we're not really that bad. We're basically good people who were just weak and a little confused. The famous psychologist Carl Rogers expressed the, the predominant thinking of the last century when he said that in our hearts, we are basically good and our main problem is that we've just lost touch with our inner goodness. Societal structures have, have obscured it. Paul blows both of those myths up in the very first sentence of Ephesians 2, verse one, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. First, notice the word you. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Not other people, but you. You see, we all recognize that, that some people are bad, but we usually think the main problem is somebody out there. The Bible cuts through all that and says, no, you, you are the problem. There's only one category of people, sinner. Sin is an incurable disease that dwells in the heart of every person who's ever been born. Sin has spiritually killed us all equally. And that's the second word that challenges how our culture thinks of itself dead. You are dead in trespasses and sins. Most people prefer to think of sin as, as a bad action that they do, uh, stealing or adultery, racial injustice, something of that sort. But the word dead shows us that sin is not an action. It's a condition of our heart. It's not that we do bad things and that makes us bad. It's that we do bad things because we are bad. It's not that we steal and cheat and therefore that makes us greedy. We steal and cheat because we are by nature greedy. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. So I thought you explained that pretty well. Um, that's, our, that's our nature. That's our state. We're helpless against this sin nature. He calls it an incurable disease, a heart condition. We're helpless against this. And I know I'm painting a pretty bleak picture right now, but we'll turn this around in just a minute. Um, Romans 8, chapter 3, the first part of that verse says this, um, Romans chapter 8, verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now we know the law of Moses 
was given um, for the Israelites to um, have somewhat of a relationship with God. It was a way to deal with the consequences of sin and the separation that we had from God, and it was a way to try to bridge that gap a little bit between people and God. And there were a lot of commandments, there were a lot of things that had to happen, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, um, but it was an attempt to bridge that gap, then ultimately it couldn't save us. The law was, was not able to save us. Even if the law couldn't do it, there's nothing we can do to save us because that the law was trying to be good. That's people trying to be good and trying to reach God. Um, it didn't work. So we are helpless against our sin nature without Christ. And that's the important thing we want to focus on this morning. Um, we've painted a bleak picture, but there is a remedy. There is a way that we can overcome that sin nature, and that is with Jesus. The second part of Romans 8.3 says this, So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. In the body, God declared an end to sin, to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Romans 8, uh, verses 9 through 12 and 13, and it um, goes a little further and says this, but you are not controlled by your sin nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So here's the, what we have now. Here's the situation we find ourselves in. We were born with a sin nature. makes us basically bad. We're sinners. Separated from God, nothing we could do could bridge that gap. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross made a way to bridge that gap to bring us back into a right relationship with God. And part of the result of that is now we no longer have to give in to the sin nature that's inside of us. It's still there. We still have to fight it. We still have to deal with it. But we can overcome it. We can say no through the power of Jesus. So we don't have to live, as, as Romans says, by its dictates. We don't have to do what it tells us to do. We can say no. So then, we've looked at our condition, we've got a little bit of a definition of, of, of what goodness is, which is kind of the opposite of what our sinful nature is, but now, through the work of Christ on the cross, we can have access to that goodness. How would we define that goodness then? Well, if goodness is the quality or state of being good, we talked about that definition, then goodness comes from something or someone who is good, right? Right? If, if goodness is the quality or state of being good, then goodness has to come from something or someone who is good. Our sin nature, still inside of us, makes us not good. So goodness does not come from within ourselves. It's not anything we can do. We talked about how the fruit of the Spirit is something that God does in us. It's not something that we work towards. So that goodness does not come to our, from ourselves, and it does not come from those around us, from our society. I mean, we know that some of the things that society calls good are actually violations of God's standard and actually go against what 
Scripture teaches us, the opposite of what God's want, God wants for us, some of them. So we certainly don't get our definition of goodness or what, what is good from society. So there's only one place we can get that from, and that's from God. And we're talking about God's goodness. We can try and do good things, at least some things that we would say are good. Let me give you an example of that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were at Niagara Falls, and if you've never been there, let me say I highly recommend you going. The, the power that's displayed there, the wonder that's displayed, it's incredible. But we were walking up a path um, away from one of the viewing areas uh, towards the, the little bus stop building that the tram would come by. And I noticed that it was an uphill walk. It was fairly steep uphill. And I noticed that in front of us a little ways was, a, was an older woman and, and a young man, maybe in his late teens, early 20s. Um, he was helping her up the, up the slope. He had her, had her arm and was helping her walk, and he was very patient. He wasn't sighing. He wasn't rolling his eyes. He, wasn't, he, he didn't look like he was like, oh, here we go again, or I have to stay here and help this person. He was very patient, very good towards her. Um, and then when we got up to the little bus stop area, he sat her down, and one across the road was a bathroom and a water filling station, so he went and filled a water bottle for her. It appeared that he was some, they, they were some sort of relation. Um, maybe it was his grandmother or something, but there was a bunch of them that were at that um, little bus stop that appeared that they might be related because um, of the way they were talking and, and, and hanging out with each other. So, uh, but I just thought that was a good example of something that we might think is good, but in reality, compared to what God is and what God does, it's not good. Compared to God, even our best deeds compare, uh, pale in comparison. Isaiah explains this kind of in an interesting way, I think. Um, in this passage, he's talking about the Jews specifically, but I think it still applies to us today. In Isaiah chapter 64, verses 5 and 6, he says this, You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways, but you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners, how can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. I like that kind of idea, the infection, the infected and pure and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. So what we're doing with all of this is just painting the picture of we can't do this on our own. Our, the goodness that we are talking about this morning doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our sin nature. It doesn't come from us down, down inside. It comes from God. And we have to talk about God's goodness towards us because that's where it starts. God's goodness toward us is where it all begins. Now, there are so many verses that talk about God's goodness. We're not going to read them all this morning. I chose just a few of them that I'll read quickly for you to give you this idea of what Scripture talks about and what it says about God's goodness. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 25, 1 says, The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. Psalm 119, 68 says, You are good and do only good. 
teach me your decrees. We'll come back to this idea of God doing only good in just a few minutes. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. man by the name of uh, Wayne Grudem had this to say about God and his goodness. God's mercy is his goodness toward those in distress. His grace is his goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. And his patience is his goodness toward those who continue to sin over a period of time, which of course is all of us. And then A.W. Tozier said this, the goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. So God, by his very nature, is good. We have to catch this because this is important. It is not just that God has goodness or that he can be good or or even that he is mostly good. Those would all be fine, but it goes beyond that because God is good. It is part of who he is, part of his character. Um, it's, it's just a part of who God is. And because he is good, he always does good. Always. And we have to catch that. When I was growing up, we had a, we had a, a phrase that I would hear um, preachers say from time to time, and you may have heard this. It was, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Now, as a kid, I kind of thought, well, you know, that's kind of just something that we say, right? It's kind of a catchy thing that we say, help us remember If you really think about that, it's very profound because God is good all the time and all the time he is good. Because God is good, he never does anything bad towards us, towards anybody else. And and we have to think about this in a sense of our idea of what's good and bad we've talked about is is not something we can depend on, right? Because we might see some things that God did throughout, throughout history and in Scripture, for example, and say, how can you call that good? But because of who God is and, and his, his justice and righteousness also is very much a part of who he is, but he is also good. So we ha- it's a different way of looking at some of those things, a different perspective that we don't have. And some of those things had to happen because God's righteousness had to be fulfilled as well. Um, but when we say God cannot be bad, what, what do we do then when bad things happen? Because we know in this life that bad things do happen to us. Well, sometimes bad things happen because of choices that we make, right? We know that sometimes bad things are consequences of a choice that we have made. That's not God doing that to us. It's a choice that we made. Sometimes bad things happen because of choices other people make. Unfortunately, even other people can make choices that affect us and that cause bad things to happen to us. Even though it wasn't a choice you made, this person made a choice and it now affects you. Again, that's not God doing that. That's a choice that someone made. Sometimes bad things happen because we live in a fallen world that's cursed by sin. We talked about that. Sometimes bad things happen simply because we're under a curse of sin We're in a fallen world, and because of that, bad things are going to happen. It's important to remember this whenever something bad happens to you. God is not mad at you. God does not hate you. 
In fact, it's the opposite. He loves you. And even when bad things happen, he loves you. He's not out to get you. He loves you. A man by the name of A.W. Pink had this to say, and I love how he puts this. Satan is ever seeking to inject in the, that poison into our hearts to distrust God's goodness. Reject any suggestion that God is unduly severe with you. Resist with the utmost abhorrence anything that causes you to doubt God's love and his loving kindness toward you. Allow nothing to make you question the father's love for his child. And that's important for us always to come back to. Don't let anything make you question God's love towards you. Let's give a few examples of the way that God is good to us. We know that there's a ton of them. We'll talk about just a few of them this morning. How about life itself? The fact that we're alive, we're breathing, we're upright, uh, that we had a life to begin with, that's evidence of God's goodness. How about food? He provides for us, right? Shelter. How about health? Even if you're not in great health, you still have some help, and you're still alive, and that's evidence of God's goodness. What about salvation? That's a huge thing for us, right? And there's huge evidence of God's goodness. There's a renewal also that takes place, um, both for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has to become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So that process of, of renewal even starts when we're here on this earth after we have come to accept Christ. And then it's finished when we get to heaven, but it starts here on earth. Even creation itself, we read in Romans, but Revelation uh, chapter 21 tells us this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And then in verse 5 it says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. So not only is God restoring and renewing us, he's also restoring and renewing creation itself to remove the stain of the curse of sin. Um, here's the thing that, that I, I hang my hat on. Once sin is removed from creation, only goodness will remain. Think about that. When we get to the point that sin is gone, the presence of sin is gone, the power of sin is gone, the curse of sin is gone, only goodness will remain. So that's God's goodness shown towards us, well, that then becomes God's goodness that we channel and show towards other people. God's goodness flows through us. It comes from the very nature of God. He is the source of goodness. We talked about that. He is good. He's the source of goodness. And without God, well, goodness simply wouldn't exist. It would be impossible without God. So goodness requires God and it requires a connection with him. Let me give you this example. If you think about a hose, on its own, a hose can't, bring, can't give water to anything. You can put that picture up. Um, it can't give water to anything, right? It's just, it just sits there. Nothing happens. The hose needs to be connected to the source, which is the faucet typically, that, that can then become a vessel to deliver water where it was needed. If we think about that with us, and God. Well, we are connected, if we stay connected to our source, God, the Holy Spirit helps us deliver God's goodness, and it flows through us. Um, just like the water flows through the hose, God's goodness flows through us. Now, 
We have to be careful here when we're talking about God's goodness flowing through us and the, and the idea of a hose and the water coming up because goodness is not just about what we do. Goodness is not just good actions and doing good things. That's part of it. It's an outcome of it, and it, and it, and it is a necessary uh, result of the goodness inside of us from God overflowing and coming out in those good deeds. But it's more than just that because goodness also is a character trait for us. It becomes part of who we are. So when we get connected to God, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, his goodness then starts to be really woven into the very fabric of who we are. And that's this process of, develop, of allowing the Holy Spirit to develop the fruit of the Spirit. And we're talking about goodness, that is the work of the Spirit inside of us makes us good. And it turns us into something different than we were before. Remember, we're a new creation with a new nature. Before we come to Christ, before we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we only have the sin nature and all the bad things that come with it. Once we come to Christ, once we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, rather than allowing the sin nature to control us, we now have a new nature inside of us, controlled by the Holy Spirit, and that lets us then let that part of us win and let, let the, the Holy Spirit and that nature win over the sinful nature. Um, someone who allows the Holy Spirit to control their life is then starting to be transformed into a truly good person. And goodness starts to really win and reign in their life. Let me give you some examples of what it might look like when someone has this happen and some of the, maybe some of the outward things that we might see as evidence that this is happening to them. It would be someone that has integrity. Now, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one's watching, right? It's always doing the right thing no matter the circumstances, no matter what happens to you, no matter what comes from it. It's always doing the right thing even when nobody is watching, even when you don't get the attaboy, pat on the back. It's always doing the right thing. How about good intentions? Sometimes we can do things that are good and we can do good deeds for the wrong reasons. And they can be selfish reasons, they can be really bad reasons, they're the wrong reasons. It's still a good thing, but it's for the wrong reasons. So good intentions is part of this. Helps others in need. When we can look around and see other, other people in need and, and, and our first reaction then becomes, what can I do to help? That's evidence of some of that change happening inside them. Has the best interests of others at heart. Again, when they're making choices, when they're doing things, they're thinking about how this is going to affect other people. Not just them, it's not just about them, it's about the people around them and who's going to be affected, and so they start to take that into consideration into their decision-making. They're unselfish. They put other people first. They, they do things that, that would, might even inconvenience them to help somebody else out. They, so they're someone that encourages people. Um, boy, if you have someone that's an encourager in your life, you have a great thing because we all need encouragement, and those people that are encouragers for us, hang on to them because that's an important person in your life. They're gentle. We're going to talk about gentleness here in a few weeks, but gentle is another mark of this change. They're a good husband, wife, father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister. They're a true friend. Now, we know that some of our friends aren't 
true friends always, right? Sometimes people are friends with us for the wrong reasons. They're trying to get something from us. But this person would be a true friend, a good neighbor, and a good citizen. Basically, when we allow this new nature inside of us, the Holy Spirit that's there to control us, we then become the kind of person that we wish everyone else was. Let me say that again. We become the kind of person that we wish everyone else was. So the kind of stuff that we want to happen to us, we start doing that to other people. Now, this is a lifelong struggle, unfortunately. We talked about the fact that this sin nature is not removed. It's still there. This side of heaven, we will deal with the sin nature and fight the sin nature the rest of our lives. Um, that is still there, but now the Holy Spirit gives us the power to resist the sin nature. We can say no. We can choose goodness instead. So let me end this this morning with a challenge for you. The challenge is to ask God to provide opportunities to let goodness win in your life this week. That might look different for each of you, but there's going to be opportunities for all of you this coming week that you can choose goodness or you can choose to allow your sinful nature to take control. Things like integrity. There may be times when you have to make a decision and you have to do something because it's the right thing to do and it's a hard choice to make. And maybe even making that choice means you miss out on something or you lose something or whatever that may be. But integrity says, I do the right thing no matter what. I always do the right thing. Maybe it's a pay-it-forward type of thing. You're in a drive-thru uh, at, at, at some restaurant, and you pay for the car behind you. Uh, you're, in, you're at the toll booth on the interstate, and you pay for the car behind you. Something like that could be something that you do. Let someone in line in front of you. Maybe there's a long line waiting for something, and, you're, and you let somebody... or or. Heaven forbid you let them pull out in front of you in traffic, right? You let them go first and let them get in front of you. Um, whatever that is, look for that opportunity and ask God to give you opportunities to let goodness win in your life this week. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we think about this, this idea of goodness and, and the fact that our, our sin nature just, just means that we don't have goodness inside us. We're not, we're not a source of goodness. We, we need that to come from you. We need your goodness in our lives, and, and we need the Holy Spirit controlling our lives so that we can say no to the sin nature. We can resist the sin nature. We can let goodness win. I pray that you'd help us all this week as we go about our daily lives to find those opportunities, to even ask you for those opportunities to, to let goodness win so that we can show your goodness to those around us. In Jesus' name.